Amen. What a what a relief <laughs> that we are all children of God and that no matter what we do, he will always welcome us with open arms and he will always fill the gap of what we can't do ourselves. He will always fill us up where we feel empty. He will always prepare hope for our future. This week, as you know, we spent four days at an annual event called Officers Fellowship. Doesn't that sound lovely? We go and sit around and do nothing and no, that's not, that's not true. <laughs> it's not true. We went to Officers Fellowship. It was at the McCracken Country Club, which was lovely, a new um, venue. We have been going to a different venue for many years, but this time it was different and it was lovely. But the purpose of this gathering is for all officer leaders of the South Australia and Northern Territory Division to come together. We network, we share, we learn, we worship and we pray. It's a hugely important uh, thing for the leaders of the army to be learning, worshipping and praying and it's also important for us to come together and sit with our peers intentionally. You can just imagine all uh, these people coming together in an air-conditioned room where some of us are saying it's hot, turn it up and the others from the Northern Territory who are used to sitting in absolute heat are going it's freezing and they've got coats on and it's always a really interesting thing when you've got SA and NT together in a room. It's fun but uh, you know we make do. But one of the small things required of us at Officers Fellowship is that we have to wear a name tag at all times. We must not leave our rooms in the morning without it why? Because it's important to learn the names of each other, right? And we don't always know each other's names. Yes, we get together at times throughout the year, but also there's new officers that come in after appointment changes. So it's important for us to wear name tags so we can uh, learn each other's names. And the name tags helps us do that. I am definitely the type to often forget a name tag both putting it on in the morning but also forgetting that I'm still wearing it if we were to head out to, you know, outside of the realms of fellowship, like when we slipped out to get coffee for Maccas and there I was walking around with my name tag on, feeling like a bit of a weirdo. But I got to thinking about names. Names are pretty important, right? Our names are generally the first piece of information that people learn about us. When we are born, it is often the first piece of information that the nurses ask the parents. What are you going to name your baby? When you order a coffee, a pizza or a boost juice even, the server will ask you your name so then they can call it out when your order is ready. Whenever we sign up for an event, join a club or enter a competition, our names are added to that list. Our names are a significant part of our identity, aren't they? It generally feels good when people remember our names too. It can feel awkward when we forget sometimes a name, can't it? I'm sure we've all been there. I remember the face, but I can't remember the name. Why do we feel sheepish when we forget a name? It's because it matters. We all have a name and our name is part of our identity. We've recently been watching the television series Grey's Anatomy. Have you heard of it? It's a good, good show. Very, there's plenty of content there to keep us going for a while. There have been a few episodes where a patient has come in through emergency and the team aren't able to work out the patient's name, which means they can't contact family or search for medical history. So the patient is listed as a John Doe or a Jane Doe until more information is found. 
Obviously, the first priority is to tend to the illness or injury, but also each time, because this show follows the life of the doctors and nurses, there is this mystery about the patient and a concern by the doctor team about finding out their name, the genuine relief when they finally discover a name, identification and family connections is evident each time. The name matters. Our names are tied to our belonging, our identity and our place. Further to that, what about the meaning of our names? Has anyone ever looked up the meaning or origin of your name? Do you know it? Does anyone know theirs? Barry? Straight as an arrow. Straight as an arrow. Yes. Okay. Right. Do you feel like it means something to you? <laughs> Maybe? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I actually had a bit of fun looking up some names uh, this week. A little bit of fun. There's maybe some disappointing ones. I'll share that a bit later. But I'm going to share a couple. So Aaron's got a Hebrew biblical origin, meaning mountain of strength and enlightened, which makes sense because Aaron in scripture. Lynn, French, German, Irish, UK, American, you've got all of them. And it means waterfall. That's interesting, isn't it? Wilma. Austria, Belgium, France, German origins, and a whole lot of others. Apparently, it's quite popular. Resolute protector. Interesting. I, I had Barry's down as Anglo-Saxon and spear, so same thing. Straight as an arrow, yep. Um, Ashley, Canadian, French, Irish, and it just means ash wood. So, you know, that's a bit boring. <laughs> Celeste is Latin, and it's heavenly and divine. Oh, excuse us. <laughs> Rex is also Latin and he is the king. <laughs> uh, and what of, oh, Amelia, Latin for work and industrious. So <laughs> get, a, get, get a job, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a bit disappointed with mine, to be honest. And I think I'm going to ask my parents what their thought was because Karen has two different origins and two different meanings and both of them are awful. Hebrew origin means animal horn. And the Irish origin means pure, which is lovely, and dark. And I don't know what that means. So I, I think I need to actually go and check in with my parents to see what they were thinking when they named me. <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it, to hear what our origins are. Each of us have a name, and each name has an origin and a meaning. But obviously not all of us, hopefully, were named by their meaning as the top priority. And then maybe some were. I think um, I did actually look up... Uh, Jaden's name and hers is Hebrew for God has heard and I'm interested to find out whether they chose her name specifically for that as well but um, yeah it's just it's interesting just to see how we change and we choose names uh, over time. So today we're going to be reading scripture from Genesis 17. Again you're going to hear that theme of covenant that Aaron spoke about last week but uh, this week we're going to be reading verses 1 to 7 and then jumping over to 15 to 16. Abram is named Abraham. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, 
This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And then over to verse 15, Sarai is named Sarah. Then God said to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai, for now on her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. So this is not a new story to us. We've heard this story before. We know that God repeatedly promised children to Abram and Sarai and we know that Sarai sat in unbelief and did in fact react to the voice of God by laughing at the absurdity of bearing a child in such late years of her life. In fact, we talked about it last year. But as we focus these weeks leading up to Easter time, yes, it's coming, (laughs) this theme of God speaks... How can we not spend a bit of time on this very prominent example of God speaking directly and repeatedly to the father and mother of nations? What we are reminded of here in these accounts is that Abraham stands at the beginning of God's promise that Israel will be a people blessed by God. God set the standard and the invitation. He started with Abraham, he communicated, he promised, he fulfilled his word and he continues to fulfill his promises. What gives us a clearer example of extraordinary divine covenant than an ancient old Abraham and his barren wife becoming the ancestors of a multitude of nations. This is a covenant that gives promise, blessing, commandment and freedom to Israel by God. God steps in, initiating a fellowship with humanity in direct opposition to sin and binds himself to the entire past, present and future of Abraham's well-being. And through this relationship, he begins the full restoration of all humanity to ever work, walk the earth. This is kind of mind-blowing stuff. It started there and it's continued on to you and me. It is true that God challenges Abraham, Sarah and all of Israel and us to accept the living out of this covenant by our requirement to exclusively worship and put our faith in him alone. But if we choose not to label this life of faithfulness and obedience as a burden to carry, it might just give way to the recognition that we are always on the receiving end of God's constant movement to bring about life and freedom. This is God's covenant of grace. Everyone in this story is given a new name. Did you notice that? For the first time, God is given the name God Almighty. The Lord announces himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty, for the first time in Scripture. Abram and Sarai are also given new names. God announces their new names to be Abraham and Sarah. The changes word-wise, are subtle, yet their theological implications are significant. As mentioned earlier, these days, names are often chosen based on popularity, diction, nostalgia, or simply because they have a nice sound to it. However, in Old Testament times, names reflected the character and the destiny of the person. 
So, for example, if God specifically gave Rex his name, perhaps we should organise his plane fares to Buckingham Palace so he can take up his destiny as king, right? (laughs) In this case, the names Abraham and Sarah are divinely given to the two of them to signify that God has blessed them and their destiny is guaranteed. Almost at the end of their earthly lives, God will do the impossible. Earlier in chapter 15, God makes covenant with Abram. However, in that encounter, the covenant was mainly focused primarily on land rights. Now, God is progressing the covenant. Now, he levels up and increases the covenant to all aspects of life, the lens through which Israel will interpret and discern how to live faithfully with God, the land, and with one another. It says so in his name change. Abram means exalted father, but Abraham means father of a multitude. God's covenant increased from exalted father to father of a multitude. A man promised land, blessings and leadership moves to a man promised to be the beginning of a great future of many generations of people blessed by the one true God. Creation, literally everything that God breathes into existence, both seen and unseen, is a part of this great covenant that began with this one elderly man and his barren wife, who obediently and faithfully committed their lives to God, even when there were hard times, and even when they were promised the unthinkable, because surely as time passed them by, it was too late for this promise to be fulfilled." But because of their obedience, because Abram and Sarai chose to still follow and believe, God used them, not to level up their own importance, but to level up up his relationship with them and all of creation. Abraham and Sarah's reward was participation in the building of the kingdom. They received their God-given purpose and the gift of hope, identity and an active place in God's creation. Abraham and Sarah received a royal promise that connected them to King David and eventually through the house of David and then all the way to Jesus. It's not rocket science to then work out that generations after generations continued on and our lineage has followed on from the beginning. What does this mean exactly? This means that we are part of this eternal covenant promise, this promise that remains today that both God, Abraham and us will no longer be alone. Our true God-given existence, that is, what binds us to creation and our creator, is centred on blessing and promise, naming and covenant. We are followers of the one who established a never-ending covenant with Abraham and brought that covenant to fullness in Jesus Christ. We as children of God were given a new name that tells us everything we need to know about God. We are disciples of Jesus. Through the extravagant grace of God, the life of the church, and the decision we make to give our hearts to Christ, the covenant that was established with Abraham and Sarah is now open to us. The shocking reality, however, is the fact that God willingly binds himself to a people who, like us, and even in Israel's days, persist in turning away from that grace. We have the opportunity to accept our place in creation, to find our true identity in Christ and step obediently into our destiny. But too many of us are resisting the invitation. Too many of us are sitting with our eyes and ears closed. Too many of us 
are sitting in disbelief. Maybe too many of us are dwelling on the hardships of life and losing our faith that God will still fulfill his promises for us. Abram and Sarai didn't sit still while they were waiting for God. They had ample opportunity to learn to trust God without knowing for sure how things will turn out. This trust led them to leave their home in Haran without a map to the land of promise. It allowed them to endure the grim vision of what lay in store for their descendants in the land of Egypt. It may have even been what saved their marriage after Abram convinced Sarai to lie to Pharaoh in order to protect Abram's life. The truth is this old couple were deeply flawed humans just like you and me. That's the cold, hard reality of our history from the forbidden fruits of Eden. However, they remained faithful in God's promise. They had no clear evidence that they would ever become parents of a single child together, much less the parents of a nation. Yet they still continued in relationship with God and one another. It kind of makes me wonder what might have happened to our whole human history if they had given up believing. Their trust was unconditional and in years to come, no doubt their minds were blown when God's word came to life. Abraham and Sarah became parents at 90 and 99. Really, it's kind of absurd, but that's just how God rolls, isn't it? We should always be ready to expect the unexpected. Now, when I read this scripture, read the scripture earlier, you may notice that there was a bit missing in the middle. We kind of skipped some verses. We read verses 1 to 7, then we skipped to verse 15. I'm going to go a little bit rogue here and just highlight the bit in the middle because I hate to break it to you, but like all good relationships and covenants, it's not just one-sided. We have responsibility in this too. I'm not going to go ahead and read it now, but verses 9 to 14 mention Abraham's part in this leveled up commitment to covenant. These verses explain God's command to obey the terms of the covenant and that all his descendants will continue this responsibility. And that responsibility included the physical act of circumcision. Now, I'm not going to explain what is involved in that practice. Dr. Google could answer that one for you, perhaps. But if we place the details aside for a second... This physical act by Abraham and his descendants was a sign of commitment to covenant. You see, God increased Abraham's name and destiny, but also Abraham's commitment to covenant also increased. God now requires more of Abraham than simply answering to his new name. He is now physically involving himself in covenant. There's a further sacrifice involved. As you sink into your commitment to believe in God and following Christ, God will increase your destiny in his kingdom. But there's not a level at which you reach and then sit and pat yourself on the back. Be prepared. Yes, God will continue to stand true to his promises for your life. Yes, God will continue to move and speak in your life. Yes, God will fulfill your kingdom destiny. But with great power comes great responsibility, doesn't it? We have a responsibility in our covenant with God. We must press in. We must commit to a life of faithfulness. We must believe that God is moving and working in creation and that we are an active part of that too. We must take our responsibility seriously. It's not just a job for a few of us, it's for all of us. And as we do, we will see our destiny increase and consequently, our responsibility will increase too. But this isn't a reason to hold back. God wants us physically involved in his plan for all creation. 
God not only wants us to believe in him, he wants us to trust in him and he wants us to physically work with him too. We are in the season of Lent. Lent really is a time where we should be examining the nature of our own covenant with God. We kind of joke about what we might sacrifice for Lent. We talk about giving up certain things and then we refuse to give up other things, coffee. But why don't we get serious here? Why don't we consider what our covenant really looks like? It's not about giving up certain things while that can help us and keep us on track. But what are we trusting God within our lives? What is it that we haven't received answers on and we're starting to lose faith in? That can be a hard one. What can we give over to God and trust that he will take care of? What practices are we participating in that allow us to be physically involved with God? I wonder if we were to ask God for a new name, what might that be if it was to signify a new kingdom purpose? We have a good father. Our God is so good and he is interested in who we are. Our God is present in every season and circumstance. It's just who God is. He knows just what we need before we even have to say a word. He's just waiting for us to ask so that he can call you by name. Because your name is important. Not just the one that sits on your name tags and driver's license. I'm talking about your God-given name that marks your kingdom destiny. So are we willing to start asking our good father for our destiny? We're just going to spend some time as the song plays. And I want to encourage you to pray just quietly within yourself. Ask for ears that hear and eyes that see. A heart that desires more of God in our own lives.